Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. If you're new to the podcast, each episode we cover the sport of gravel cycling through the lens of product designers, event organizers, and athletes, all in an effort to shed some light on the sport we all love so much. The podcast is an independent effort and is supported by a small number of sponsors and by listeners like you at buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. This week on the podcast, we've got Leland Danes from Unbound and Kimo Seymour from Lifetime. We cover a variety of topics, including Lifetime's suite of gravel events, including Unbound, Crusher and the Tusher, and Big Sugar, what 2020 looked like, and what 2021 will look like. Importantly, we cover the COVID safety precautions that the Unbound team has been putting in place in order to run a successful event this coming June. What's clear in this conversation and many other conversations happening around the gravel event community is that the event organizers are putting a tremendous amount of effort into creating safe environments for riders and athletes next year. But what is also going to be critically important is you as a rider. Riders are going to be expected to follow new protocols in order to keep the gravel cycling community safe. Event organizers can do everything right, but if we as riders don't follow the guidelines put in place, it could all be for naught. I'm hopeful that this conversation can get shared widely and listened to frequently. So as riders in the gravel cycling community, we can start taking responsibility for our own participation in these events and hopefully in 2021, get back to that amazing community atmosphere we felt in 2019. With that said, let's dive right into my conversation with Leland and Kimo. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Craig. Yeah, um, so it'd be a good place to start off since I've got two of you on the line today. Why don't we start off with Kimo and then go on to Leland and just talk about your respective roles at Lifetime and maybe Kimo prior to that, you could just tell the listener about Lifetime in general. Okay, so Lifetime, um, maybe more nationally known as a leading um, health club company around the country. Uh, we operate 154 what I'll call destination health clubs around the country and um, very nice. I'd consider pretty high-end type health clubs, very family-oriented company um, and, and, you know, 30 plus states. Um, so uh, Lifetime has been, been around 20, I think we're coming up on 28, 29 years now. Um, the, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to get to work on the events and partnership side of the business. So partnerships, meaning most people think of it as sponsorships. We call them partnerships because we, it, you know, we, it's an opportunity for us to, um, to uh, share our partners with our audiences. And that happens to live both in, in events, which are outside of the walls of our clubs, as well as our members, which, uh, you know, a couple million members, which, which um, uh, attend our clubs. So how did Lifetime start to see exterior events of so events outside the club as being an opportunity for a health club? You know, it's a great, great question. I think, um, you know, the, it was, it was prior to my involvement. I've been with the company a little over nine years now. And, um, my understanding was the, the idea was, um, you know, there, you know, we, we, we kind of position ourselves as what we call a healthy way of life company. And I think the thought at the time and, and continues to be our thought process that, you know, clubs, 
these destinations are an important component of a healthy way of life, but not necessarily the only component of a healthy way of life. It, you know, to, the way to live healthy, you have to eat healthy. You have to live, you know, you have to have to have activity every single day. Um, and clubs are an important component of that. But we also saw that to keep people in the ecosystem, it's important to engage them beyond the walls of the clubs. And, and events were an opportunity like that. On top of it, events were, they were a great brand. And, you know, we, we found out that, gosh, you get a lot of really good exposure for your brand if you go create great experiences outside your clubs. A lot of media exposure, a lot of people start to learn about your ecosystem through these events. Um, and so I think it was a combination of, you know, extending that lifestyle beyond the walls of the clubs, but also, um, you know, it, it was a marketing idea. Um, it, was a, it was a way to extend the brand, if you will. And were those first events things that Lifetime conceived of themselves and created, or, or did it start with sponsorships or partnerships? You know, I, to, to my understanding is I think there, there were a few sponsorships early on, but our, our CEO, um, you know, is, I'll say, very protective of the brand. And the idea that we would put our brand on somebody else's experience and not, con not, not control what that experience is like, um, he didn't. He didn't like that idea. He liked the idea that we that we want to deliver a premium experience in everything that we do. Therefore, we probably need to to really do that effectively. We need to control that experience. So, we've we've um, we, we get asked frequently if we would like to sponsor other events. We've chosen typically not to do that. We've found more success where we can kind of control and really engage with the consumer with our brand. That putting our name on somebody else's event hasn't been as effective for us. Yeah, I remember the first time Lifetime got on my radar was um, from the Leadville 100. And I think it was the year after I did it, uh, the acquisition was announced. And it was really interesting because I know how much the founders of that event, how much passion and love they had for it. So it was very kind of curious when this outside entity came in and acquired that event. And then it was very heartening to see how much involvement the founding team has and still has in it and how the character of the event didn't change. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example of one where I think Lifetime sponsored it for two or three years prior to the acquisition. And, um, and yeah, it's been, a, I, I was actually, I came on shortly after that acquisition really. Um, and that, that was my first job was to make sure that, that, that we didn't quote unquote, screw it up. Um, and, it, <laughs> and, and, First and foremost, to me, I thought it's really important to keep the those founders and uh, you know because they're the ones that keep us engaged with the community and and they're the ones that know how to how to make sure that thing continues with the heart and soul that it you know that it had developed over the 25 years previous to our involvement you know so um, yeah I think that's that's an example of one where I like to think we've done an okay job of continuing that and hearing you you say that that you know we've continued that experience and. The, you say the heart and soul of it is still is still there and that's i think that's thanks to ken and Mary Lee, and now cole who is uh, ken's son is has moved over to, to start helping us with a you know as ken and Mary Lee reach a point of potential hiring we've got to have some of that continuity there in the leadville community yeah and obviously with with mountain bike events and gravel events any mountain event in these small communities it's just so critical that you have the local team involved because, as you said, it's sort of the heart and soul of the event, and no one wants to lose that. All right. Leland, maybe that's a good time for you to introduce yourself as part of the team at the event formerly known as DK, now known as Unbound, which we'll get into later. Why don't you introduce yourself and, and what you do in the family? 
Yeah, well, I was uh, one of those former owners of DK Promotions at the time, and we had built up uh, this DK event, and it was um, just a little over two years ago now that Lifetime acquired us. Um, you know, members of our team were, were getting on in, in the years, and uh, we knew that uh, there needed to be a strategy for a succession, if you will. And uh, Kimo was one of the first people saying, hey, we, we want to make sure that you are a part of this. In fact, I think it was, um, we don't want to acquire this um, without you staying on board and helping us run it. So um, I now work for Lifetime as the event director for the Unbound family of events. So that's our training camps in the spring, Unbound, of course, uh, first weekend after Memorial Day, our summertime lunar ride, and, and then that also led into the creation of Big Sugar down in Arkansas, which I help oversee. Yeah, you know, that brings me back to a year ago in 2019. I had visited the Big Sugar preview ride in Bentonville, which was awesome in October. Lifetime had announced its acquisition of Crusher and the Tusher. There was all these big things. And I think as one member of the community, I was so looking forward to 2020. I thought we had so many amazing things planned. I think you guys shared that with me. At a strategic level, you know, once COVID came into our lives in February, March, I think it started really kicking up. Obviously, Bobby Wintel's event, the Mid-South, was probably the, the biggest event on the calendar that actually just managed to kick off. How did you guys see that and start thinking about it? It must have been incredibly challenging. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was there was so much unknown uh, for everyone as we came into the start of 2020. Um, initially, to be honest, um, I personally didn't think it would affect our event, which was end of May, would have been end of May this year. And so you're there in January, February, and we're thinking, okay, if we all play by the rules and we, you know, kind of isolate ourselves for a few weeks, this ought to just go away. And boy, were we wrong. I was certainly wrong in, in that assumption. And so it, it didn't take long to go from, yeah, we're still having an event in this year to we need to pick a postponement date to um, then you get into the summer and you're like, we're not having anything this year. And so it was um, definitely didn't see that coming for sure. Chemo from a corporate level, obviously when this started coming down, it affected all of your events. What was that like on your end and, and how did you kind of react corporately to the, the situation? Well, yeah, at the corporate level, obviously, there was a lot of focus on on the fact that we had to cl close down 154 clubs across the country. And boy, what a huge impact on our business. And, you know, I'll say we're we're I, I you know, I preach this to our team a lot. I'm just incredibly thankful that in a time like this, we have a big company like Lifetime behind us. You know, there's you know, a lot of people out there say, oh, you know, the, the Lifetime, this big corporate giant coming in and gobbling up events and these things. And I think, well, these are the times where it, it, it might be, a, you know, it, it's a pretty solid benefit to have, a, a, you know, that kind of um, that, that bigger company behind us. And I, you know, I really feel for a lot of the smaller event producers that aren't getting any support from the government that aren't getting, you know, that kind of like restaurants, right? It's just, I don't know how they're surviving. And I just, I feel terrible for them, you know, and we're so fortunate that we, that we were able to, I mean, obviously we canceled, we, I think we did two events in the beginning of the year. We've canceled the rest of our events for the year. Um, obviously, you know, hard one, you know, you cancel 30 plus events, you know, that's, that's a big, big impact, both, both to our business and to our parent company. So 
the the irony was it it didn't happen overnight, right? It it took like this thing is Leland said this thing evolved when we were you know but even in March we thought ah oh, we still got a chance by you know beginning of June we should be good like we'll come back out of this thing. Little did we know we're you know we're talking about next June now you know, and and when we'll be able to get events back online next year not this year so. Um, it, it was, it was, you know, that made, I think the hardest, the, t- the toughest decisions for me, you know, nobody was going to fault us for, for canceling an event. People would fault us if we tried to put on an event, right? Um, you'd have, you know, probably 50% of the people would be the, the ones bashing you for it. And 50% would be applauding you for it. And we couldn't take that risk. We couldn't, we couldn't risk exposing people like that. So the decision was not difficult to cancel. The hardest decision for me was what to do with the team. You know, um, the company, you know, was a company, we just, I mean, we furloughed close to 38,000 team members across the company. And unfortunately, some of those we have still haven't been able to bring back because of this. So We've been fairly fortunate in our business. We did lose a few people along the way, but we've been able to bring a number of people back. And those are the, probably the hardest decisions that, that we've had to make this year. Yeah, I can only imagine. You know, I, I felt like at the time there was a lot of sort of woe is me from individual riders who were seeing their, you know, their, the one event they were aspiring to do for the year get canceled. But at the end of the day, like you said, whether you're a larger corporation or a small event producer, this hit hard. And being able to rebound back and be someone we can count on to create events in 2021 is super important. And I hope, I hope we didn't lose any events in all this, but uh, I think inevitably we may have. I, I think so. I think that's yet to be seen, Craig. I think, unfortunately, there will be some of the smaller, maybe some of the bigger ones too, that, that, that just don't make it through. Cause that's, well, that's tough to go a year without your, you know, you've got your operating expense that you kind of have to live with throughout the year. And then you've got your, but all your revenue comes from a single day event typically. And totally. It's and, and it's not, it's not like events are these huge revenue making machines by any means. So the margins are quite small. And if you're required to give refunds to people, et cetera, there's a lot to it. On a brighter side, you know, you gave a lot of riders the opportunity to donate their registration fees to charities, which I thought was a great way to kind of turn the tide on this. Do you want to talk about some of the success you had with that program? Yeah, a really, really good question. We, um, it, we, we did, we, we selectively uh, chose a number of events and, and gave people the option to donate to a variety of charities. Um, in most situations, in most markets uh, where we do events, we also, uh, through our Lifetime Foundation, uh, we support and and are implementing school uh, kind of an improved school lunch program across the country and and doing what we call eliminating the harmful seven and there's a seven ingredients that we believe that just ch- children shouldn't be exposed to in school lunches and so we've now extended that we're impacting about two and a half million kids across the country through the lifetime foundation and and um those communities, you know, our athletes are starting to recognize that it's it's pretty neat what we're able to do in those communities where we host events. And so Emporia, where Leland lives, is a good example. We've we've um, entered into an agreement with with the Emporia School District and a number of our athletes, you know, for for what was DK now to be unbound, chose to donate their entries. Uh, we gave them the, you know, we, we guaranteed people the opportunity to get back in this next year, but they donated this year's entry fee to, to support the, that, the lunch program in that school district. And it evolved from 
not not just eliminating the harmful seven in these in these school lunch programs, but it it actually evolved into a COVID relief type lunch program uh, in a lot of our school districts around the country that turned into a not a not only a COVID lunch relief, but many many districts breakfast, lunch, and dinner, where we've got where there were really high unemployment rates and families that were really impacted. Leadville is a perfect example. Um, I think in total we raised almost a quarter million dollars for that school district to support their 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 COVID relief program throughout the summer um, and kept kept feeding not only kids but their families where where they just you know it just you know didn't have access because they were you know unemployed. Yeah. So really grateful for our athletes that that jumped in to help out and it was pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a great result considering how much corporate level trauma with all the all the employees you have to furlough and all these sort of negative things going on to at least be able to put something positive back into the world. Yeah, I think so. We're, we're really, we're really fortunate and appreciative of everybody that stepped up to help. So Leland, I know last year DK pivoted to a virtual event and then there was also a virtual event for big sugar. I don't want to drill too much into the details of the virtual event, but is there anything that you guys learned running virtual events that might be useful going forward? Um, yeah, I think the biggest lesson was learning that uh, virtual events can be um, really good and uh, really useful for a lot of people. Um, take our camp, for example. Uh, we had a virtual training camp, and that reached over a 1,000 people. And it really opened our eyes to the fact that our in-person events can be rather limiting when you really think about it. You know, DK, uh, when it was owned by us, had been a lottery long before Lifetime acquired us uh, because the demand was so high. We can only fit so many people in Emporia. Well, through the, uh, I guess, forced use of virtual events this year, we realized that um, on top of taking people here in town, we potentially can create meaningful opportunities to engage with people that aren't able, either aren't able to travel to Emporia or weren't selected to come to Emporia. And so it is certainly our hope that uh, moving forward that we can use virtual activities to continue to engage people beyond those that can come here to Emporia. And so um, that was definitely an aspect that was exciting to me. Uh, we had, like I say, I, I refer to our virtual training camp. What a great success that was. We had, and in fact, we were able to uh, add content that you would we wouldn't normally have at our in-person training camp. We are able to engage more sponsors that don't always travel to town to be with the in-person athletes. And uh, we just had all kinds of information and great activations and uh, great, great input from a lot of people to make that happen. And I think we only charged something like $10 um, to join that virtual training camp. And so the value returned was immense. Um, and I believe those profits were, were donated to either the Lifetime Foundation, uh, maybe a combination of organizations. So um, that was definitely, in my opinion, a huge success. Yeah, I think that was definitely one of those interesting silver linings to 2020 was just that we flushed out a number of different virtual formats and some of them are going to stick and some of them aren't. But at, at the end of the day, I just think it was a way to bind the community together in a, in a time where we desperately wanted community, but we couldn't safely come together. Yeah, well, our goal has certainly been to invite and welcome in as many people from the gravel community as we could. And as we've alluded, because of the use of our lottery, because the demand was so high, we couldn't capture all those people. So this will definitely give us an opportunity to engage. Will it be the same as riding, uh, you know, hundreds of miles in the Flint Hills? No, not quite. But again, it's I think we can create a value in that experience that is appropriate and still makes the end user feel like they were a part of something pretty special. So. 
Yeah, and I think one of the one of the offshoots of that was a lot of great roots got created and shared across the community, um, which was really cool. I, I've benefited from going to different towns and riding routes that someone posted in their you know virtual DK race. The other big thing, obviously, in 2020 was um, DK rebranding to Unbound. For for either of you, would you like to talk about a little bit about that process and how you arrived at the name Unbound and what it means to you? you want to take that one, Leland? Well, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a process indeed. Uh, as you can imagine, you know, DK had positioned itself as the world's premier gravel event, and it was going on 15 years uh, in 2020. This would have been the 15th running, and so. Um, imagine renaming your 15 year old child or, you know, something like that. It was a, it was a tall order. Um, but we did, I, I really liked the process that, uh, our marketing team implemented. They pulled together a great committee of people, a little group of people, if you will. And that included community members from right here in Emporia, key members from the lifetime team, um, a couple of professional athletes that were, um, well involved with, with DK, um, sponsors. So it was a very eclectic group of people from, and not everyone was necessarily a, a hardcore cyclist. Um, they just had a, a interest or a stake in the event in some way. And we invited them in the process and it was just pages upon pages of words and phrases and names that we liked. And, and you start the process of scratching names out, right? And um, Unbound was one that um, always just kind of was there. And we would always kind of pursue something else and it wouldn't work for a number of reasons. And and Unbound was there. And when I really started to think about what that word signifies, what it means, it became very clear to me personally and, and a lot of people on the, the committee that um, Unbound does represent the spirit of not only this event, but in gravel in general, the, the whole purpose of gravel was to get out there with um, nothing but a paper map and a cue sheet and your own legs and whatever supplies you could carry and, and to really um, be free out there and explore uninhibited. And then that's what Unbound um, refers to, really. And so we found it to be a name that's very applicable and captured the spirit in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I think the end result was great. And I, I, I like the name personally. Oh, good. Many people do. You know, if you go onto social media, you might think otherwise, but um, the critics, as they tend to be, are really few in number. And there were some people, obviously, who didn't want the name to change at all. And we understand that. So they likely weren't going to like anything that we produced. And that's okay. We understand that there's a lot of emotion wrapped up into it. But um, when we were floating this around, it was clear to us that um, partners, industry partners in particular, really liked the name. And that really helped does solidify that selection. Nice. Well, let's get practical now. I really want to have a conversation for our listeners and the community at large about how events can be run safely in 2021. Unbound is scheduled for June 5th, 2021 at this point. And I know from talking to you, Leland, you guys have flushed out a lot of precautions can we talk through what Unbound is going to look like and how it may differ? And this, again, for the listener, this is assuming we're still in the really tricky state of the pandemic as we are now. Yeah, and I'd, I'd warn everyone going into everything that I'd love to share here that this is a largely hypotheticals, right? Here we sit in December, and as a production team, we desperately need to have some, we want some answers, and, and we need to get started on our prep and planning, but those answers just don't exist. If you, you know, I go and I talk to my 
um, public health officials and city officials here. And they say, Leland, what do you want me to tell you? You know, that's six months away. I can't tell you what next week is going to look like, let alone June. Um, but the positive is, is that most everyone I've, everyone I've spoken with is optimistic that a bike ride can take place in June here in Emporia. And that's really reassuring to us. And what that means is, is everything else might look pretty different. And there's obviously going to be a lot of safety stuff that that I want to share. But at the end of the day, we think that a bike ride can take place. And that can happen because we can um, spread out the start line a little bit. And we're talking about hundreds of miles of Flint Hills, open air. Um, There's really few better opportunities for us to have an event um, than out in the Flint Hills riding our bikes. And so I think that really lends a lot of positivity to something will take place. But when you look at the other facets of the event, we really believe that we can make some alterations that still give the participants, our athletes, a great experience. So you take a look at like on riders meeting. Okay, it has been a phenomenal gift to be able to gather in the Granada Theater and have those riders meetings and and the energy in that room is eclectic. Probably not going to happen in 21. We'll probably live stream that um, and we'll still be able to disseminate the information. We just won't be able to gather in the theater. You know, packet pickup, we're really going to have to reduce the numbers and control the flow. So we'll probably do things like um, only the rider will be allowed to go in and, and sign in for themselves. As much as we love for the family to be a part of that experience, we just, there's not a need, there's, we can't risk having the extra bodies in there. Uh, naturally, social distancing and, and mask usage, assuming that is still in use, will be followed wherever applicable. That's kind of a given. Um, but just controlling the flow a little bit, reducing the numbers in any of our indoor facilities, those types of things. Um, Our finish festival is going to probably be the biggest difficulty uh, because if anyone's ever been to our finish line, it is thousands of people. I've heard as many as 10,000, some estimates have been, and they're milling around within a few block radius and they've got a beer in their hand and a taco or, you know, pulled pork sandwich in the other. And you obviously can't have have a mask when you're doing that. Um, So that's an area where we're going to really have to scrutinize what we're able to do, what's prudent to do. But again, I go back to our worst case scenario. It may just be a finish line. There might not be quite the fanfare in years past, but um, I don't think most of our athletes will have uh, be too upset about that. Is it great to have the crowd there? Absolutely. But if it means being able to have a ride and that's a a part we might have to give on a little, then it's something we're certainly willing to concede on here. But that's an area where we have a little bit of time to figure out what this thing might be looking like come springtime. It's an area that um, we'll have all the scenarios from A to Z try to figure it out. And and by the time we get to March, April, we'll know where in that line we might have to be in terms of execution. So. Yeah, I think I heard um, Michael Marks from BWR say that putting on an event is twice the effort in the current situation than it than it has been previously. Twice as being generous. I mean, we've got multiple plans and schemes and angles, and we want to be prepared for just about any scenario. Um, and we feel pretty pretty prepared as of today. Yeah, it's comforting that you guys have posted your COVID guidelines already on the website. I, I really like to see that. Yeah, Craig, I, I think there's a, you know, there, there's even a maybe a bigger picture uh, question that's still yet to be answered. It's something we don't know, but um, and, and it probably extends beyond just our little industry. But in general, is there going to be, um, you know, we're, we're starting to think about it. You know, will there be some period of time where it may just be required for certain activities, for certain businesses that you show up with a 
negative COVID test and or uh, proof of a vaccination. And I don't know that we're going to lead in that area, but if, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, nationwide, but I, but I think there may be scenarios and there's also, there's obviously a lot of talk about that, that some industries may just, you know, they, they may go to that for some period of time. If you're going to get on an airplane or if you, you know, countries and states are doing that now, you know, to get into Hawaii, you have to show that you've had a, a you got a negative test from the last 72 hours. You know, there's, and, and you're seeing, and I think we're going to see that evolve and probably, um, we'll probably see more of that over the next, I would imagine 12 months. And so we're prepared, we're preparing for that scenario that, that we, that we, you know, have to think about across all of our events that, you know, potentially it could be that you have to, we, we, we end up having to be, you know, a, a municipality or a local jurisdiction might require us to, to check that every single person that's coming has had a vaccine or has, has, you know, had a negative test in the last 48 hours or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of mind boggling to play out. I mean, do you have two finish lines for some people who have been vaccinated and some people who haven't? It's just, it's incredible. It is. But I, I think any way you slice it, 2021 is going to be a little bit topsy-turvy. I think, you know, you do have the benefit, as you said, Leland, of, of being a June event gives us a little bit of time to kind of see how things are playing out. There's a couple other big events on the gravel calendar that will have gone off and hopefully gone off without a hitch so we can learn some lessons. Even right here locally, not everyone, if you've been to Emporia, you've probably learned this, but uh, this is a big disc golf town as well. In fact, in April, um, Dynamic Discs, which is located here, hosts the world's largest disc golf tournament. So we'll also get to take some some clues from them right here at home, um, how that is operated and how it goes off. And so we, we do have that um, good fortune of being right in the middle of the calendar year. And so we'll get to learn uh, from others on, on best practices as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's critical that throughout the gravel cycling community, if a rider's intending on attending an event, that they really take a high level of personal responsibility for their attendance. And whether that is in representing a negative test or just showing up and following the rules, I think that's where we're going to fall down. Because I know all the event producers I've been speaking to, they know how important it is for them to set the right stage. But if the riders themselves don't take that responsibility, that's where the challenges are going to come. Yeah, if you think about it, um, we utilize the help of a few hundred volunteers. It's an extraordinary number, but that's to manage thousands of people, not just riders, but their support crews and spectators. And and so we can't have eyes everywhere all the time. So when we make a statement like uh, we need you to wear a buff or face covering on the start line, we need your participation in that. Um, because it's very difficult to go row by row, person by person, and enforce something like that. It's simply our expectation that you're coming here with the goodwill um, and the desire to participate the way we need you to. Yeah, and I think obviously the other big thing is just responsibility during the travel to Emporia, being a small community and drawing athletes from all over the world. That's, that's huge. You know, you could be coming from a territory that does not have precautions in place and bringing it to a community that does. Yeah, I think most people recognize that even in larger communities, our larger cities, um, the healthcare system is overwhelmed. But then you look at a place like Emporia, which has 20 hospital beds, um, we can't, we just can't facilitate um, a big outbreak. And so it could be very detrimental. With the precautions stated behind us, how excited are you to get the community back together this year? Well, nothing would please me more. You know, this has been a, an interesting year where, to Chemo's point, I've been um, grateful 
throughout the entire year to have employment, to continually be working towards the next objectives. Um, but it's just felt weird. What, what have we been working towards? What have we accomplished this year? And while I know we've accomplished things, it's been hard to recognize and see those things when you don't have those tangible events to execute. So nothing would please me more to, to get back to, I'll, I'll state it again, to just have a bike ride. I really think if we just view it as that, I think we can accomplish that much and get back to really what all this is really about, which is riding our bikes in beautiful locations and um, coming together as community in whatever capacity we're able. Yeah. And I know you're both cyclists yourself, so you both personally must be missing the normalcy of group rides. I'd say a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I, you know, we, I, I miss the, whether I'm, you know, at our events, whether I'm riding or just there to, to, pick up trash or whatever I do around the events. Like it, it, it's, I, I, I miss it. I miss seeing that. I, there's nothing more. I mean, I'm telling you, if you don't, if you stand at the finish line of, of unbound or Leadville or any of these events, and if, if, if you don't shed a tear at some point, you, you, you must not have a heart because I mean, it is unbelievable. The, like the power that these events have to change people's lives and to, to have lasting impressions on the riders and their families. I mean, kids seeing their parents do that. I mean, like the example that people are setting for their, you know, for the next generation. And I mean, all these things, it's just, it's really powerful and impactful and it's all gone right now. And it's just, it, yeah, that maybe more anxious to see that than, than to necessarily cross the finish line myself or get out on a group ride. But, um, yeah, that's the part that's hard to it's 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 a bummer that we've lost that for a year. Yeah. There's I mean there's absolute magic in the last person across the finish line. I you know you you see the pros come across very quickly and are very able to have conversations and go on among their business, sign some autographs, but that last person who turned themselves inside out, maybe this is something they've never done before. I mean it definitely gives me goosebumps even talking about seeing those athletes come across the line. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, as you well know, we are there. Uh, unbound finish line is open till 3 a.m. Sunday morning. We're standing there till the very last come home. So Amazing. Well, there's absolutely a reason why Unbound is on a lot of gravel athletes' bucket list of events to, to, to uh, attend, for sure. So, Kimo, we've got a, for Lifetime, you've got a suite of gravel events throughout the year. Have all the dates been set for the big events at this point? They are all set. Yeah. So the, um, all, all the big ones, you know, we've, we've kind of, kind of put them back on their, their traditional dates. Uh, at this point we haven't, you know, we're, we're contemplating whether or not, you know, something, you know, in the spring might have to get moved to the fall, um, things like that. As far as the gravel events right now, though, it looks like we've got everything kind of, you know, where it traditionally has been in the past. So, okay. Cause Crusher was later in the summer, I believe. And then big sugar obviously is at the end of the year, right? Right, right. We still got Crusher in in uh, in middle of July, and then uh, yes, uh, Big Sugar for late October. Okay. And have you set the stage for when event registration for those later events will be available? Uh, we have actually, and I don't have the dates in front of me here. Leland, you probably know better than I do. You'll have to fact check me on Crusher. It's, it's either mid January, early February, big sugar. We have not made that announcement, but look for a springtime, uh, opening for that registration. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of, for both those events, I imagine there's a lot of deferred athletes that are potentially given the first slots. You are correct. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I'm glad you bring that up because even with Unbound, 
um, there were many people who um, donated their entries um, or asked for a refund. A lot have deferred, but I do want to mention to the listeners that there will be a lottery registration for Unbound. There will be new spots available for athletes, um, and that opens up January 15th. So definitely be, if you're wanting in this year, there's still opportunity. Awesome. That's super exciting to hear. I just sort of assumed that it was already locked up. Yeah. And that's why I'm glad you brought it up because I imagine most people are feeling that way. And uh, I don't think we've made big to do about that. This is one of the first times we've been able to get on air with anyone and talk about that our registration will be opening. So definitely put your names in the hat. And then for registered athletes, is there a deferment or refund policy that you guys have already crystallized? Yeah, another great question. I'm glad we're hitting on that because in years past, we've taken a pretty hard no refunds. Um, and, and even uh, before Lifetime had acquired us, we had moved to a no transfer policy, which we used to allow transfers. But this has definitely made us realize that um, th- this was something that's obviously out of everyone's control. But we did want to recreate a um, deferral and a refund policy that would be more generous and maybe a little more fair to everyone. So um, folks, uh, and I'll kind of rattle some of this off, but you can visit unboundgravel.com, look at our COVID-19 guidelines, and you'll see our um, little Q&A, which includes a deferral refund policy. But from 90 days out or more, there's a 70% refund available to the riders if we need to cancel the event because of COVID. Um, then it goes down to 50%, and then within the last couple of months, a 40% refund. Now, I will say this, obviously, it'd be our goal to try to postpone because we do take place in June. There is a chance like we had to try it in 2020 to maybe try further down the the road in the year. But if if it all comes down to cancellation, then we do have a policy in place um, for a refund that's a little more generous than in years past and and an outright deferral at no cost as well if a person wants to try again the next year. Now, that's there, but we're not going to need it, right? Knocking on wood and it's not going to be an issue. We're going we're gonna to be able to ride, let's hope. So, Yeah, let's just keep all our thoughts intending that way. I'm definitely <laughs> struggling a little bit as I'm sitting in Los Angeles County and they've just entered another strict lockdown period. As I'm looking online to register for events, it's hard to get my head around it. That's the struggle we find ourselves in now is it's hard to take the the blinders and put them on. We need the blinders on right now. We don't want to see what's happening today, and we need to think about what we hope things are looking like next year. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think we're all optimistic about where things are going. It may not go as fast as we'd like to go, but I think things are finally starting to head in the right direction in terms of potential vaccine, et cetera. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate you talking about what's been going on at Lifetime and about Unbound and the other events you've got in the calendar for this coming year. I'm excited and, again, optimistic that I may be able to see you both in person again. Definitely. Oh, we will. We'll see you, Craig. We'll <laughs> right <be on>. there. <laughs> Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks thank for having me. Take care. Happy holidays. That's it for the podcast this week. Big thanks to Kimo and Leland for their time and dedication to making 2021 a safe gravel racing season. And a big thanks to you, the listener. I appreciate all your support. Ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. So if you have a moment, please tap into your app right now and leave us a review. I love reading what you have to say. If you're interested in interacting with me a little bit more during the week, feel free to join the Ridership Forum. Simply visit theridership.com and I'll send you an invite. It's been thrilling to see the ridership community grow and see the interactions that are happening on a daily basis. 
there's a wide range of activity in there from trading regional routes to discussing bike bags to the ever-present debate as to which tire and what width to run. So if you're looking for a pure play, distraction-free discussion of gravel and adventure cycling, hop on over to theridership.com and join us in the forum. So that's it for this week. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.